of the family videography. You know, I'm the one who gets out the video camera for birthdays and holidays or just when the kids are doing something cute. Uh, that's what I want. I want cute. Uh, I want happy. What I want on tape are those happy moments, those joyful, fun moments. I want the, hey, this is a great time moments. And so if things start turning bad as I'm videotaping, I just turn the camera off. Uh, I have video of my twins in uh, ages three and four and five, uh, their, old, their, their birthday parties. And um, I've got the footage of the happy moments. But when I see that moment coming, you know, when they begin comparing the, the slice of birthday cake they have and how it's uh, just about going into the, hey, that piece is bigger than mine type World War III, I just fade the scene and turn off the camera. Just last week, I had the uh, fun of, uh, of doing a little videotaping of the kids uh, sculpting their pumpkins. Uh, but then I turn off the camera right before the lectures uh, start when they start uh, threatening each other with a carving knife and uh, flicking seeds at each other. I have glorious video of yesterday and the uh, whole family shoveling snow together. Until someone just falls in the snow and starts to whine and cry and say, It's too cold. I hate the snow. I can't feel my feet. I hate shoveling. Actually, that was me. But uh, uh, you get the idea that I stopped the filming, you know, when it gets to that point. What I'm saying is that uh, when you watch my family videos, uh, you would think that we never argue we never cry, we never bleed, nobody ever gets angry, and we never fail to have a glorious time. We just go on from one adventure to the next. Which makes my family videos uh, very unrealistic and really boring. Uh, and if you're honest, your videos are, are boring too. Uh, my family videos are a record of what we wish life was like. Our videos are this sanitized version of our dream life, or, uh, and it's a dream life that we don't have now and we never will have, because real life is not one big, long comedy. Uh, life also includes tragedy, where we experience pain and sickness and disappointment and worry and fear and sometimes a lot worse. In real life, you can't edit out the hard parts, the sad parts, the dark parts. You have to go through them all. But how? How do you cope? How do you keep going? How do you find victory over the worst and hardest points of life? Well, the answer to these questions, I believe, is found in what God has to say in Romans chapter 8. Uh, would you please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and we'll begin reading at verse 26. If you are keeping score, um, we're not actually following the sermon that, uh, that I was planning to preach for today. Uh, there's reasons for that, uh, but I have to believe that um, God has some reason for me to preach this particular message at this time. And maybe that's God's message for you. 
Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and this eighth chapter is where he writes about the privileges that come with being a child of God. But being a child of God does not mean that life is easy. Verse 17, if you look at uh, Romans 8, verse 17, says that God's children share in Christ's suffering. Verse 22 says that all creation is groaning because our adoption process is not complete. Verse 23 says that God's children groan because our adoption is not complete. And then we read that God is groaning too in, uh, in verse 26. Here we are in Romans verse, chapter 8 verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We live in an imperfect world of suffering and hardship, uh, so much so that the created order groans. God's children groan. Even God's spirit groans. We groan and God groans due to the pain and suffering of separations in this world. But uh, after Romans chapter 8 describes all this groaning, uh, there comes one of great, God's greatest promises in all the Bible. And here I'm referring to Romans 8 verse 28. But we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. It is so important that we really understand this promise. Because unfortunately, this is not only one of the greatest promises in Scripture, this is also one of the most misunderstood promises in Scripture. So, uh, before we study what Romans 8.28 means, let's discuss what this promise does not mean. First, the promise that in all things God works for the good does not mean that God's children escape pain or suffering. Uh, I refer you back to what I just said about God's children groaning in verses 20 through 22. Uh, but I also refer you forward to what Paul uh, says in verses 35 and 36 about God's children enduring hardship and persecution and famine and danger and sword. So this promise that in all things God works for the good uh, comes in a context where clearly all things is meant to include both pleasant circumstances and unpleasant circumstances. So first, this promise does not mean that God's children escape the hard and painful things in life. Second, uh, this promise that in all things God works for the good does not mean that bad things are really good things. There are some who misunderstand this promise to be saying that everything bad has something good in it. And it's just our job to look for the good. 
It seems like some people want to make this Romans 8:28 into a corny Hallmark card uh, about how every cloud has a silver lining and how every bad thing is really a good thing in disguise. But anybody who has really suffered knows that is not true. If you have been the victim of some kind of cruelty or evil or pain or suffering in this world, you know that bad things are not always good things in disguise. You know that some things are bad, and they're just bad. When God says that he works all things together for good, he does not mean that all things are good. This idea that all things are good can have really cruel results. Uh, I've been with parents who uh, have just lost their child in tragic death. And I find out that in the midst of their pain and loss, a friend uh, wanting to be helpful, uh, wanting to kind of break the silence, uh, has glibly quoted Romans 8.28 saying, well, isn't it great to know that as bad as this situation seems, God will make it good. And when the friend says that, um, I'm sure that friend feels better. But I can tell you for sure that it doesn't make the parents feel better. Telling a parent who has just lost a child or anyone else who is fresh in the midst of some deep emotional pain, telling them that Romans 8.28 says that bad things are really good is the equivalent of saying, hey, snap out of it. You shouldn't be grieving. This isn't bad. Uh, this is somehow good. And it has the chilling effect of taking away people's permission to grieve. And it's not only insensitive, it's plain wrong from a biblical standpoint. Some things in life are not good. Some bad things are just bad. Now, does Romans 8.28 uh, apply to a grieving parent? Yes, of course. But God's promise is, is not to manipulate bad things so that they are somehow good. And it's important not to misuse God's word in a way that short circuits appropriate grieving in your life or in someone else's life. So first, Romans 8.28 does not mean that God's children escape pain. Second, this promise does not mean that bad things are really good things. Third, this promise that in all things God works for the good does not apply to everyone. Uh, Romans 8.28 uh, makes it clear that this promise only applies to a certain group of people. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Who are these people who love God and are called according to their to his purpose. They're Christ followers. Uh, this phrase is just Paul's description of a person who follows Jesus. 
Paul is not saying that some Christ followers love God and some don't. And God's promise uh, to work for good only applies to certain Christ followers. No, Paul is saying that all true followers of Jesus are people who love God because they have been called to uh, him in salvation through Jesus. Now, for the fourth and last point in this list of what this promise does not mean, uh, This promise uh, that in all things God works for the good does not mean that we will always see the good worked out in this life. We've already noticed that uh, this promise applies only to those who are called according to his purpose. And it is his purpose which defines what is good. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, where good is defined by God and not by me. Where the good is defined according to God's purpose for me. And we know that from God's perspective, what is good for me on earth is of minor importance uh, compared to what is good for me over the millennia of eternity. So Romans 8.28 is not a promise of a guaranteed happy ending on earth. The promise that all things uh, uh, from God work together for good doesn't mean that all Christ followers die in their sleep in their 90s. Uh, We know down through the centuries that many, many Christ-following people, including the Apostle Paul, died early and bloody deaths. And yet for them, all things worked together for good, according to God's purpose. Because that is the promise. Uh, And it's a promise that cannot be measured on earth by what I see. But it's measured in the scope of eternity and in eternity by what God sees. So, this promise that in all things God works for the good does not mean that we will always see the good worked out in this life. Okay, now we've cleared the field of misconceptions when it comes to this very important promise. Now let's study the real meaning of this promise in How it is the answer to some of the dark periods in our life and and also the joyful periods in our life. And how we can really start living uh, as we hold on to this promise. What God says in Romans 8.28 is that if you are his child by faith in Jesus Christ, you can rejoice because you and your life and everything concerning your life is in good hands. You are not in the cruel hands of chance. You are not in the fickle fingers of fate. All the details, all the details of your life are in the nail-scarred hands of an all-powerful God who loves you completely and arranges things so that no matter what happens, Nothing will ever threaten God's good plan for your eternal 
good. If you are his child, God tells you, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the hard and painful and troubling things that you experience in your life. Don't think for a moment that things are out of control. Don't think for an instant that God has forgotten you or is upset with you or is punishing you because you are in good hands. God promises that He is at work in the details of your life, that He has a purpose and He has a plan for your good, for your blessing, for your eternal joy and fulfillment. Summarized in these words in verse 28, where God, uh, verse 29 actually, where God says that His plan is to conform you to the likeness of His Son, Jesus. This is the Father's highest desire, that you would really start living right now the eternal life, the human life modeled to its fullest by Jesus Christ. All right, now let's start um, uh, listing some of the implications of God's promise that he works all things together for my good. Here's the first implication. This promise teaches that there is meaning in the, the details of my life. There's meaning. Romans 8.28 says that in all things, God works for the good. The Greek word for works in verse 28 can be translated literally into the English word synergy. Uh, in all things, God synergizes for my good. In other words, God takes all the seemingly random events of my life and creates a synergy uh, and makes a good result that uh, brings meaning and uh, significance and purpose into the details of my life. I have an unforgettable childhood memory of watching my mother uh, bake a cake. Uh, among all the cake ingredients uh, that she had on the counter, I remember uh, asking about this dark bottle uh, that my mother told me was vanilla. And I remember going on and on about how much I loved vanilla, how vanilla was my favorite flavor, and how she probably wouldn't miss it if I was to just have a little bit of vanilla. And uh, I'm sure that this was... Uh, uh, a good idea in the 60s, you know, but uh, my mother being the kind of mother that uh, she was, uh, she pushed over that uh, dark bottle of vanilla and said, go ahead, take a big swig. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure this was considered brilliant parenting technique in the 60s, but it scarred me for life. Uh, of course, I did a big, you know, big spick take of the uh, vanilla extract across the kitchen uh, gagged for about an hour, and now my favorite flavor is chocolate. Uh, anyway, I, uh, I learned that day that uh, just because a cake tastes really good doesn't mean that the individual ingredients taste really good. The raw eggs, the flour, the salt, the baking powder, and definitely the vanilla... Uh, taste bitter or uh, taste bad uh, in an individual. Uh, 
But without them, you wouldn't have a cake. But when these bitter things are combined with the sweet ingredients, the synergy is good. It's really good. God's promise in Romans 8.28 is not that he changes bitter experiences into good, but that through his working, there is a synergy that brings meaning to what is bitter and becomes a necessary part of his really, really good purpose and plan for me. So, um, first, God's promise in Romans 8.28 means that there is meaning in the details of my life, even the bitter and awful tasting ones. Secondly, this promise teaches that I don't need to fear anything in my future. When you are God's child, you have God's promise that your future is in good hands. You don't need to be afraid of what's coming around the corner. Because God assures you that you have a place in his plan, and it's a good plan, and it is secure in the future as it is today. This confidence sets you up to really live in this life. And it sets you apart from the majority of the people on this planet who live day by day in this fear and worry of what they can't see around the corner. But God promises to his children, I've seen around the corner. Don't worry. It's good. It's really good for you. So, uh, the promise that God works all things together for the good means I don't need to fear my future. But that's not all. It also means that this promise teaches that I don't need to regret my past. Um, When God says that all things work together for good, um, he means things in my future, but also things in my present now and things in my past. This means I don't need to go around muttering, oh, if I had only done this, if, oh, if I'd only done that, uh, if only he or she had not done that, or then my life would be different, and then my life would be good if I just had done or they hadn't done those things to me. We can put all those regrets aside about the past because God promises that my past is part of his synergy for my ultimate good. This means I'm free to forgive. Uh, It means I don't need to be a bitter, resentful grudge holder because God promises that those wounds of the past are swallowed up in his synergy for good. This is why that Old Testament uh, character Joseph uh, could uh, embrace his family members who had uh, wounded him, physically abused him, and, uh, and, and Joseph was able to forgive them. Such in Genesis chapter 50, he says, you know what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He was free. He was free to forgive. And maybe... You know, maybe most importantly, it's not only forgiving the people uh, in your life, it's being able to forgive yourself. Um, Because your failures become part of God's synergy for good. 
in your life. At the beginning, you know, I mentioned that uh, God's promise in Romans 8:28 uh, contains the answer to how to really live uh, even in the midst of disappointments and hurt. It's true. Because the implications of this promise, they're huge. God's promise in 828 means that there's meaning in the details of my life. Uh, It means I don't need to fear my future. It means I don't need to regret my past. And this promise means that I can face hardship without becoming hard. I can face hardship without becoming hard on the inside. You know, I can't edit my life like my family videos. I can't cut out the hard and painful parts. I have had bitter experiences, and I'll have more. And so will you. In fact, maybe you are are a follower of Jesus, and you're suffering right now. I don't know. If you are, take God's word as a personal word from God today to you. Hear him say, I work all these things together for your good. I promise, says God. And then let that promise keep you soft in the midst of suffering. You know, there's an old saying, one of my favorites, that goes like this. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The idea is that, for the most part, believers and unbelievers, uh, people who trust God and those who don't, go through the same troubles and the same difficulties in life. But the effect can be radically different. The same heated situation that makes uh, someone who does not trust God into a hard and brittle and dried out person. That same heated situation can make the Christ follower who truly trusts God soft and moldable in the Father's hands. Useful in the Father's hands for His good purpose. So if you're going through a hard time right now, God says, in all things, I work for your good. Keep this promise in a way that will make you soft in God's good, good hands. And you know, uh, what is true for you as an individual is also true for us as a church. You know, God works all things together for good. Does this, does this promise apply to a church like Black Rock? <laughs> yes. In fact, Black Rock uh, is, is the kind of church that Paul has in mind. Paul writes this promise not to individuals, but to the church. So it's no secret you know, that we have faced as a church obstacles uh, on our way to trying to follow God in uh, creating more room here at Black Rock. It's no secret that the current economic situation is just another one of those difficulties on our road. But we have this promise. We have this promise that as we follow God, as He leads us, He leads us to good. 
And I don't know where this economic storyline fits into the script that God is writing for us. Some have suggested that it's his way of getting maximum glory among us. You know, when we take our pledges of, uh, of faith at our in-gathering, when we give gifts of faith uh, in this climate of fear, our community can't help but notice and maybe even seek this God that the people of this church so trust and have, the, have a passion to please and have a confidence and a fearlessness that leads them in this way. I don't know. All I know is that our Father has dreams for us as a church. God has plans for us, and they are good. They are good plans. God has dreams for your life. God has plans for your life, and they are good plans. As a church, we're in good hands. So you can rest. You can rest and be at peace and have true joy in your life right now because you are in good good hands would you please stand now as we close I just want to remind you that uh, we'll have a few people up here uh, ready to pray uh, if you would like to come forward Um, actually I don't know how many people we'll have I know I'll be up here Uh, So if you have something you'd like to pray about, maybe along this theme, maybe another theme, uh, would you please come on forward? And uh, I'd be just thrilled uh, to pray with you and uh, to apply this this promise in a way that could uh, send you out with a whole different kind of of peace and joy. God, thank you that uh, no matter what the weather is, uh, you're in control. No matter what the uh, circumstances of life are, uh, that... You are in control. And this is a promise that you give to your children. It's, it's not to everyone. It's to your children, those who uh, have become your children through faith in Jesus. Lord, that's a promise that has huge implications for our life now and for the joy that we can experience and the peace that we can experience even right now in life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, that you would lead us there. Uh, by holding on to this promise, applying this promise in a way that would uh, please you and bring uh, glory to you and joy to our lives. In your name, Jesus, we pray it. Amen.